celebrities in particular get a lot of abuse on the Internet, especially on Twitter because you have this direct connection. And some people are just inherently cruel. Some people write very harsh things to famous people without even thinking about the fact that they are people. So tonight I want to give you a chance to think about it. What you don't see when you send a nasty tweet is that it can actually cause pain. Over the last few months, we've been asking some of our celebrity guests to read some actual tweets directed at them, and uh, here they are for your amusement and hopefully reflection. There's a new show where James Vanderbeek plays James Vanderbeek. Guys, get your backpacks and boots. This is the apocalypse, I'm sure of it. Zoe Deschanel is overrated. I, I think I'm underrated. You know that if you skinned Larry King and ironed out his leather, you could make enough coats to give one to every poor child in America. Matt LeBlanc looks so old. What happened? Ever since Modest Yahoo shaved, he looks like old, fat Justin Bieber. Dear God, give us back Tupac and we'll give you Justin Bieber. I just saw Jessica Alba. If this was 2007, I'd be really excited. Kate Merritt is on the list of people who I don't understand why anyone likes. <laughs> Kelly Ripa is kind of amazing when you think about how hard it must be to balance that huge head on a tiny body. Whenever someone tells me that I look like Andy Samberg, they're basically saying, Guess how big your nose is? Very big. Dear No Doubt, the only thing in doubt is whether your music makes me want to puke or kill myself and then puke. Sincerely, everyone. Bob Costas is a vampire. Mark my words. Greg Anthony looks like a young person in costume as a grandfather. That Demi Lovato song Make it stop, please. Everybody hurts. Well, today we are looking at uh, kindness and how uh, our tendency to be cruel, whether it's in Twitter, whether it's in Facebook, whether it's face-to-face -face conversations, or it's the things that we don't say. But you know in your heart there's a lot of unkindness that gets conjured up, even if you have enough sense to not let it come out. How do we develop kindness? What is kindness? How do you begin to express that? I think there's a tendency in me, and maybe it's in you, to put a blind eye to other people's felt needs. I mean, I never put a blind eye to my felt needs. They're very important. They should be prioritized by everyone. But I have a blind eye toward other people's felt needs. Uh, my wife will mention something that you know, isn't something on my priority, and I'll just think to myself, that's really not important, or that really shouldn't be a big deal. Sometimes uh, it might be an employee has a concern, and as they're talking, I'm thinking to myself, this is not legitimate at all. So I'm not really listening or engaging or being kind, because I'm literally judging them in my head while they're dialoguing with me. Sometimes I dismiss the need, they're just being overly sensitive. They're just crabby. Or whatever it is, I just find myself in my mind taking a blind eye to someone sharing something they might want. Sometimes I rationalize it. Ah, I'm just having a bad day. I don't need to really deal with that. I don't really need to do anything about that. It's just exaggeration. Other times it's self-righteousness. And, and I think a lot of what makes us unkind is self-righteousness. We look down on other people. People we love and care about. We feel superior to them. We say, 
It's not worth putting my time into. That issue shouldn't be that important to you. Ah, they're lazy. They're important. When's the last time you did something for me? Now, maybe you don't struggle with this, but those are some of the inner thoughts that go on inside me that cause me to, to give a blind eye to the felt needs of those people around me. I'll give you an example. I'm, I'm often surprised at my heart's tendency to be cold or at least not tender toward my wife's needs. So she came out in the backyard uh, about a month ago and she said, you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to clear all the brush out of the wooded area. It's a wooded area. It's supposed to have brush. That's where we put the brushes in the wooded area. That's why we built a fence so that we could have the grass area and throw the junk in the wooded area. I didn't say all that, but I thought it. I said, oh, and I know this is very important to her. A felt need for Beth. Every time I look out the door, I see that brush and it really bothers me. I literally, until you brought it up right here, I've never seen the brush until this moment. So her felt needs for support, her felt needs for, for having this area cleared, is not only not on my radar, I promise you, it would never be on my radar. It would never make my list. I could go through my to-do list for a hundred years, and that would never make it. And my felt needs are immediately on my list. I'd like to not be doing uh, yard work, because I hate it. I'd like to be watching TV right now. I'd like to go down to the pool. I'd like to go jet skiing right now. And I know that if we do the uh, yard work, then we won't want to hang out in the bedroom later tonight. So that's what I'm thinking about. And I think, you know what, this is something that's important to her. I love her. This is a way that I can put her needs ahead of my own. So I think, honey, you know what, I'm dressed for it. You're not. I'll go ahead and, and clear out the brush. You watch Quinn while I do it. So I think, all right, typically I do the lowest common denominator of what she wants. I'm going to go above and beyond this time. So I clear out the brush area she talked about. And I thought, I'm going to do double, double what she asked for. So I clear out another section of brush. I'm about to be done. I'm like, you know what, just one more thing. I want to really wow her with my kindness. So I brought out a rake, and I'm actually raking the, the area, like the leaves, the, the, the pieces of bark. I mean... Squirrels don't even know this is a wooded area anymore. It's so good. I've done such a great job. So I, I clear this whole area out. I've gone literally two, two times and two times more what I thought I was originally going to do. So I go knock on the window. Hey, honey, come on out. And, I, and I'm parading my kindness, you know. And so I bring her out. I'm like, what do you think? She's like, wow, this looks really good. I'm like, huh. She says, well, now that we've done this section, could we do this section here? And immediately my heart went cold again. Oh, I can't believe it. It's never enough, right? And I'm amazed at my heart's tendency to dismiss other people's felt needs. But then even when I do it, I'm not always doing it from a warm heart. I'm doing it from a negotiating strategy. I've done something for you, so now you do something for me. That's not a warm heart. And yet what kindness is, the way the Bible describes it, is it is felt needs that are met by warm deeds. That you begin to see other people's felt needs, you identify them, you look for them, you look for opportunity to meet other people's felt needs, and your heart meets them with warm deeds. Now, what do I mean by warm? It's not obligatory, it's not because I should or honor or duty, those are good things, but it comes from the Bible's understanding of warming your heart, that you want to meet other people's needs because your heart's been warmed by how kind God has been to you. I'm amazed at how often, if I had a starving child up here, my instinct would be to help them, to provide for them. Yet often when my spouse or a colleague or a friend or people have real needs for support or appreciation or comfort or somebody to listen to them, I can just dismiss that 
when I would consider it cruel if we did it for somebody's physical needs. So what I want to do today is I want to look at two tweets that God has for us about kindness. The word uh, for kindness in the Bible, uh, in the Greek, is a word cherotos, which means to serve others from a practical place of inner security. And I want to talk about what kindness looks like in the world and then how do we develop that kindness with these two tweets in hopes that we'll know what to do, but more importantly, have a power source to do it. So the first one is this. The first tweet is don't take a blind eye. Instead, let's develop four eyes. And I'll show you what this means in just a moment. Instead of taking a blind eye, which is our tendency, we take a blind eye toward other people that's going to inconvenience us. We take a blind eye toward other people if we don't think we're going to get something out of it. Instead of that, to develop four eyes and to begin to see life through a particular lens. Let me talk about this verse first. The tweet that God would send out might be in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, be kind to one another, be tender-hearted, forgive one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I'll get to this in a second. So look at the parts of this. Number one, be kind to one another, so to everybody, but be kind. Tender-hearted. Don't just do it out of obligation, but be, be the motivation, a tender heart, a soft heart toward one another. One of the things I notice uh, as we do weddings over the years is couples who first get married have a very tender heart toward one another. They want to meet each other's felt needs. They want to prioritize each other. Then you fast forward three, five, ten, twenty years, and that tender heart is gone. There might be going through the motions, but there's no longer that tenderness. They've developed a blind eye for each other. Forgive one another, and then here comes the motivation. Even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And this is how the message of the Bible helps you be kind. The motivation is at the end. What did God in Christ do for you? When you reflect on the main message of the Bible, the message of the Bible is that God of the universe put our felt needs for forgiveness, our felt needs for mercy, our felt needs for reconciliation ahead of his own needs. He came to earth with sickness and disease and pain and all the betrayal and hurt and pain. He then allowed himself to be crucified on a cross. He's getting nails pounded into his wrists, pounded into his feet, crown of thorns pushed upon his head. His friends abandon him. He He willingly puts himself in this situation and as cruel as the people are around him, as mean as everything they say about him is, hey, if you're a prophet, get yourself off the cross. Ha, ha, ha. He looks at them in the midst of this cruel situation and says, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And you're struck by his kindness. And then you realize that when he's on that cross, he's not talking to those Roman soldiers who are crucifying him. He's talking to you and me. We don't even realize how cruel we are. We don't realize how unkind we are. We don't realize the ramifications of our words. And he looks at us, though we've ignored him, though we've spit upon him, though we've minimized God, our creator's impact in our life. And God looks at us and says, even though you've been mean and cruel or ignored me or or deprioritized me, I still want to be gentle and kind towards you. Wow. Now, if that's true, and maybe you're new to investigating Christianity, like, I, I didn't know that's what the message of the Bible was. As that message goes from up here, I can check a box and say I know it, and it begins to soak into your heart, you begin to say, wow, if God's forgiven me of everything, how can I not forgive others? If God has got a tender heart toward me, even though I've done some pretty stupid things, maybe I should have a tender heart toward others who've done stupid things to me. If God has been so kind to me when I've been cruel, 
then God, because you've done this to me, I'm going to be kind to people who've been cruel to me. See that? And this is what happens. The, the, the tender heart of God begins to help me stop having a blind eye to others and justifying, I would never do that. I begin to do unto others as he has done unto me. The second verse is in Galatians. It says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Look at the first part. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is not work harder to be kind or work harder to be loving or work harder to be gentle. It's the fruit of His Spirit. So the best way to be more kind is not to try and be more kind. It's to get to know His Spirit. That might sound weird, like Casper the Friendly Ghost kind of stuff. The message of the Bible is that when you ask God to be your forgiver and leader, he literally sends his spirit to live in you. Now, it might sound weird, but it literally just means that you're never alone. It's the guarantee you're going to heaven. It's also the power source, the engine you need to be kind and gentle and joyful. When your energy or reservoirs run out, you tap into him and, and his kindness comes out of you. Because I'm never going to be kind to my enemies. I'm just never going to be able to get enough willpower to do it. But I tap into his spirit. And his spirit is able to be kind to his enemies because he was kind to me when I was his enemy. And now I, I, I have a, a resource by which I can be kind. So the way to be kind, the way to start not taking a blind eye is to actually get to know the God of the Bible and allow his spirit to be the engine in you to be kind. And then you begin to develop four eyes. Let me tell you what those four eyes are. The Bible describes the world with at least four parts. That human beings ultimately have a spiritual component here in the middle. And that there once was a time that we didn't feel alienation, that we didn't feel like we were missing out on significance. There was a time that we were at one with God. There wasn't guilt or there wasn't shame. But something happened. I'll move this back so they can see it. Something happened. And the Bible says this, this darkness came into our spiritual life. And with that, we now feel shame, we feel guilt, we feel alienation. It's almost like we're, we're, we're built for unleaded gas, but we've been putting leaded gas into our tanks. And now everything's gummed up. We try and find our significance from our status or our fame or our performance. And it works for a little bit, but it gums up the engine. It's not, it's not what really matters. It's not what's vital. And because we don't know who God is, that spiritual problem develops into a psychological problem. Now we, we, we experience depression. We experience worry. We experience bitterness. This darkness spread out of our spiritual lives into our psychological components. And we feel that. And though God designed us with certain needs, like the need for attention, somebody to care about what we do, the need for comfort, God designed us for that, the need for affection, God designed us for the need for support, God designed us for the need for blessing, Tell me to love us just for who we are, not for what we do. God designed us for the need for appreciation. I can go on and on. And these are all part of this inner circle of the psychological needs. But what's happened is our needs aren't met. And so what we hope is when we express our needs to another person, our parents, for example, or our spouse, for example, what we hope is that they're going to see this is a legitimate need, that we need attention. Somebody be excited about our project. But that darkness is that somebody dismisses those needs and puts a blind eye toward it and that deposits heart hurt into us. Or somebody says, why do you always need somebody to talk to you? Well, I just, I got this need for comfort after a long day. <sighs> Dismissed. And there's hurt deposited there. Well, I've got a need for affection. I know, you've always got a need for affection. When are you going to grow out of that? And we dismiss that need. 
Man, you're so needy. It seems like no matter how much I appreciate you, it's never enough. Well, it's because I didn't get a lot of appreciation growing up. And I just feel like there's, there's a hole in me and I need that. So these are all inner circles. And you don't see this stuff very often. And I think in me, the thing I'm most tempted to dismiss are these things. When my wife has a need for support, or one of my wife's needs is for acceptance, for example. Acceptance is the need to be accepted when you had bad behavior. Anybody can accept you when you have right behavior. So when my wife is at her worst is when she needs me to love her the most. That's very hard to do. Unless you understand that God loved us when we were at our worst. But this darkness spreads. And so these inner circle needs that we have a tendency to dismiss by being unkind. Then there's these outer circle needs. These are societal needs. That darkness spread. And now in society, we have societal problems like divorce, like war, like prejudice. These societal problems are part of a psychological breakdown, which are part of a spiritual breakdown, and they're spreading. But more than that, the Bible says that there are natural disasters that are part of the world that's out of sync with God. So we have tornadoes, we have hurricanes, because the whole Bible, the whole creation longs to be fixed by God. Here, we'll put tornadoes here. We'll put hurricanes here. Now, notice the difference between the inner circle and the outer circle. If somebody comes to you and says, I'm starving because a tsunami hit my house, do you dismiss that? No. Oh, my goodness. We've got to get involved in that. That's a big deal. Somebody lost everything they had because of the tornado. Somebody lost everything they had because of the tsunami. If you find somebody who's going through a difficult time because of divorce or 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 they've experienced prejudice. Oh my goodness, it's so easy to see that. You have compassion toward that. You have kindness toward that. Because you can see it. So we have a tendency to take a blind eye toward the inner circle and think this stuff doesn't really matter. But I want to encourage us as we develop kindness to begin to see all of life through four eyes. I care about spiritual needs of people. Because that's the real problem that's spreading through these other areas. That people don't know who God is. And they don't have him being to heal and forgive. And that's what's causing these psychological problems. And so I stop dismissing my wife or my spouse or my friend or my colleague's needs. And I say, no, these are part of how God designed us. I want to be kind toward them. I may not feel like giving them support and cleaning up the brush, but that's a legitimate need. They need support. I may not feel like appreciating, but God, because you were so kind and appreciating me and seeing past my faults, I'll do the same to others. So developing four eyes says that I care about the needs of the world. I care about the needs of the city and the society. I care about the needs of people individually. And I see that all of it comes from a core problem of an alienation from God. And this is why all through history you see Christians who don't just try and... Uh, sort of a silly way that Christians say it is, I'm trying to save your soul. You know, that would be, I want to save your soul. It's all about here. You see Christians instead being involved in all of society... Take William Wilberforce, for example. He was in England, and slavery was going on in England. And he knew as a, as a follower of Christ that slavery was wrong, that God made all of us in his image, that all of us are brothers, that all of us are, are made in his image, and therefore it is wrong for anybody to own somebody else, that that was abusive, that that was horrible. And as a Christian, he said, I can't take a blind eye to the societal problem of prejudice. 
Now, he knew that ultimately the reason we had this in society is because of a psychological problem. Somebody thought they were better than other people because of the color of their skin or because of their place in society, like the caste system they have in India. And because I'm better than you, I'm superior to you, I can own you, I can control you, I can push you and make you do certain things. And why do people think that? Because of a spiritual problem. They think they're God instead of God being God. So as a leader in the, uh, I think it's in the parliament, he said, we've got to do something as a follower of Christ to fix this. So what he did is he realized that the economy in England was really based upon the, uh, the slavery. And if they abolished slavery, a lot of businesses would come collapsing down. He didn't want to do that. On the other hand, he couldn't let and didn't want slavery to go on. So unlike the civil war that we had in America, he tried something pretty ingenious which is they didn't have a war. Instead, the government bought all of the slaves, paid all the owners for the slaves, and then the next day abolished all slavery. It couldn't be done again, which protected the society from the economic impact that would have thrown them into a, a, a depression, while at the same time said, no longer will human beings be able to loan, own human beings. What I love about this is here's a leader who's thinking. He's thinking about how to deal with the problems in the world, how to deal with it from a Christian perspective, how to do it without you know, having people go to war if, if it's all possible. How do we deal with it? How do we care about these needs? And, and I think if you want to be kind, you've got to start developing four eyes. And some of you are really good. You're the activist. You love making a difference in the world. But boy, you dismiss the psychological needs of, of the people who work for you. And you don't even think the spiritual needs are legitimate. But kindness means beginning to have a holistic view of the world. Now, how do you do that? Let me give you the second tweet. The second tweet is that warm deeds come from a warm heart. So how do you develop a warm heart? Well, there's a couple ways to do that. I love this verse. If God was tweeting, he might tweet Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Here's what it says. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Now notice, before you become kind, you've got to understand something. Therefore, you have been chosen. You have been elected by God. Now this is the main message of the Bible. That, that if you choose God to be your forgiver and leader, He chooses you. When you choose Him, you find out He chose you. You've been selected. You've been chosen. And at the moment you accept Christ as your forgiver, something amazing occurs. Besides, you get a spirit. At that moment, God places you in heaven as far as how he sees you. It's guaranteed. It, it, and he sees you as perfectly holy. Look at that. As elect of God, you are now holy. Not you will be when you get to heaven. That right now, God sees you as holy. Not based on what you've done, but based on what God's done. Now, isn't that too good to be true? See, the religion teaches, oh, God will give you a second chance. That's not what the Bible teaches. God doesn't take saints. God makes saints. And the moment you accept Christ as, as your leader and your forgiver, he makes you holy. He makes you a saint. He makes you fully acceptable to him. How kind is that? So therefore, as you understand the kindness of God and being willing to do that to you, you're holy, you're now beloved. You then, every day, you put on what he did for you. You say, oh my goodness, i got to have some tender mercies. Now what are tender mercies? Tender mercies are when you are tender toward others who don't deserve it. What they deserve is a lightning bolt. But you're not going to give them what they deserve, that's mercy. You're going to give them tenderness. 
you're going to put on humility because you know of a God who owned everything and he humbled himself to put your felt needs ahead of his own comfort. You're going to put on meekness because he who is all powerful was willing to serve. You're going to put on patience, long suffering, because he was so patient with you. You say, well, I don't think I believe that God did that and Jesus was God. Do you see why you'd want to, though? Do you see how that can warm your heart? Wow, the God, the, the God of the universe would do that for me? And that begins to warm your heart in such a way that now you can do it for others. And I'll give you some real practical things here. How to develop a warm heart. Here's what it says in 1 Peter. Next slide. 1 Peter says, Finally, all of you, be of one mind, have compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, and be courteous. So I'm going to take, from these two tweets, I'm going to take five principles that we can apply on how to develop a warm heart. So here they are. Next slide. Number one, we need to reflect on what God's done for us. It says you are holy and beloved. If you're not a follower of Christ, I would encourage you to, to read the Bible, study the main message of the Bible, and you'll know you get it when you say to yourself, that is too good to be true. That's why it's called good news. So if it's, oh, I've got to try hard and then God rewards me, you haven't got there yet. Oh, God gives me a second chance. You're not there yet. When you get to the point and say, God will make me holy, that's, imp- that's too good to be true. Now you're there. Now you're starting to understand the Bible. So the first step before you're going to be kind to others, before you're going to get better at your, with your marriage or your spouse, your workplace, you've got to begin to reflect on what the message of the Bible is that God's done for you. He's made you holy and beloved. I was watching an interview with Jake Matthew. Jake was uh, drafted by, the, uh, by Atlanta. And as he was uh, drafted, they flew him down. I saw this interview on the ESPN and as he was flown down to the, uh, to the Falcons headquarters, he walked in the front door and was so excited. He had been chosen for this team. He walks in and, and he's hugging the coaches and, and they're saying, congratulations, we're so excited to have you on the team. He's like, I can't wait to get on the field. I can't wait to be part of this. He had a, a press conference later on that day and here's what he said at the press conference. First of all, I want to thank Mr. Blanche, Coach Smith, Coach Tyson for putting their trust and faith in me. Man, I just feel so humbled right now. I'm honored to be in this situation, to have this opportunity. You know, throughout this whole process, I didn't know it would work out, but Atlanta always felt like the right place. Secretly, I was hoping I'd end up there. And he said, now I just want to get on the field. And, and he, he, if you know him, he's a follower of Christ, incredibly humble. And because he'd been chosen by the team he wanted, it made him want to serve them, want to do his best. His heart had been warmed by the fact that he was chosen, which motivated him to do better. That's what happens when you begin to understand the message of the Bible. You reflect on what God's done. Number two, you develop compassion by asking, what would I need if I felt that way? That's what compassion is. Let me give you the opposite. So when I walk into a situation, I think to myself, they shouldn't feel that way. That's an illegitimate way to feel. You know, whether it's with my spouse or whether it's with a colleague or whether it's a friend, I, that's my instinct is to put a blind eye. They shouldn't feel that way. Here's how you develop compassion. This question, what would I need if I felt that way? I don't have to say whether well, it's legitimate to feel that way. The reality is the person feels that way. What would I need if I felt that way? 
That begins to warm your heart. Instead of judging people, you go, oh, I would need a hug. I would need somebody to listen to me. I need somebody to ask and give attention to this project they're working on. Oh, if I felt like, then I would need affection or I would need comfort. But you begin to develop compassion by, instead of judging others, you put yourselves into their shoes with that question. Again, the Bible calls it compassion. The third thing is you love everyone as if they were family. That passage in Peter says, love others as brothers. Well, this is revolutionary. This thought is what abolished slavery. This thought is what Christians now are using to try and stop human trafficking. This idea that every person is a brother. This is why you can love your enemies, because you say God made them too. God loves them too. They do dumb things without a doubt. I've done dumb things. God loved me when I was dumb. I'm going to love them when they're dumb. It's how you can treat your ex-spouse. It's how you can treat a prodigal son. It's how you can treat a competitor who's done something nasty to you. You can still set up healthy boundaries while still treating them as family and be kind to them. Next one is you can check your tone. Look how Peter said it, that kindness is being courteous to one another. You ever had somebody who talks to you in an uncourteous way? It might be a son, it might be a daughter, it might be a, a boss. And they say, I am being kind. Could you tell your face that you're being kind? Because it's not making it over here. And you begin to say, okay, part of kindness is the warm heart needs to come out of my tone. There's a warm tone that this is about me truly caring about you, caring about what's important to you. Whether it's the person who's who's downtown, who, who, who hasn't eaten and we're providing a meal, whether it's the orphan, that there's something about the way we come across. It's courteous. I'm not better than you. It's not that you're lazy and got yourself in the situation. If given the, the wrong circumstances, I could be here too. So I want to be courteous and treat you well. Then the last one, extend mercy by asking, what do they need but not deserve? So let me define mercy for you. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So the human heart is wired, our our desire for justice. We can tell what people deserve. That person deserves a lightning bolt. That person deserves me never to talk to him again. This person is never getting a Christmas gift from me. because, And we can tell the story. Here is why they don't deserve it, right? And we use that to justify our anger, justify our unforgiveness, justify our impatience. But tender mercies is this question. What do they need but not deserve? What they deserve is my punishment. They deserve my justice. They deserve my attitude. But what do they need? Oh, See, that's what tender mercies are. You realize that when you were evil and cruel and nasty... God did not give you what you deserved. And you're like, oh, that was so tender of you, God. And so now you put on your tender mercies and you say, what does this person who's been cruel to me need but not deserve? Willpower is not going to produce that, my friends. Only the message of the Bible, only Jesus can produce a real warm heart towards your enemies. That's what it's saying here. What if we took kindness as serious as we take murder what if we took being unkind as serious as we took adultery we sort of say oh you're kind I ought to work on that someday oh murder and that's a big deal but what if we began to examine our life this week and say man I need to take my lack of kindness and courteousness my tendency to take a blind eye toward things as seriously as I take something like murder how would it change our attitude I remember watching an episode of Mad About You years ago I showed how we had a tendency that we can put on a front in front of other people. 
So the, the couple was fighting together. I can't believe you're going to do that. I can't believe you're going to do that. Ding dong. What you Don't you ever say that again, door opens. Hello. Hi. Good to have you here. I think, oh, how many times have I done that? I can be kind to total strangers because I'm putting out a, a I've got a reputation or I've got a persona I'm trying to put on. And yet we close that door and I can just be so unkind to the people I say I care about the most. And I don't take that, even though there's evidence all around me that's a problem, I don't take that seriously and say, God, please work on, forgive me, help me with what's broken in me. So that's our takeaway for today. You know, Julian uh, was an emperor. One thing that struck him, he was a skeptic of the Christians. And yet, as the Christians began to take hold in the early century, these Jewish people who accepted a Jewish Messiah, they began to love not only fellow Jews, but fellow Gentiles. And they began to tell them about a God who cared about people's physical needs, spiritual needs, societal needs. And here's what this skeptic said about the Jesus movement. Do we not see that what has most contributed to the success of atheism, and that's what educated pagans considered Christianity. They called it atheism because we didn't believe in the gods of Rome. What's contributed to the success of atheism is its charity towards strangers, the care it takes of the tombs of the dead, its feigned gravity of life. Or is it the disgraceful when no Jew is a beggar and the impious Galileans, that was the name given to the Christians, support our poor in addition to their own? In other words, Julian says it's amazing the Christians only take care of people who believe the same way they do. They're poor, but they also take care of our poor. They see people with in poverty. They see the orphan. They see the widow and say, we got to do something about that. They see the felt needs of society and say, we got to meet those with warm deeds. We care about people. We care about their needs. So here's my encouragement for us this week. Instead of looking out for number one, look around for other people's needs. My father used to say, Chad, if you're always looking out for number one, you'll step in number two. You and I have a tendency to take a blind eye toward other people's felt needs. So we, we, we look out for number one and we step in number two. But this week, I'd like you to begin to say, I want to catch myself dismissing my spouse's needs, my friend's needs, my colleague's needs, the other department's needs. I want to look around for felt needs instead of looking out for number one. God, help me to see and develop four eyes for the needs around me and how I can be part of it in my city, in my company, in my church, in the world. You know, all through history, the church has been known for how it showers people with love. I invite the band to come up and tell you a few stories about that as they're getting in place. The city names of our great country are rooted in Christians who wanted to take care of people's felt needs. San Francisco was named after a mission. 1776 time frame, San Francisco was named after a mission set up by St. Francis of Assisi, who said, I want a mission to take care of the felt needs of those who are hurting or poor. Hospital systems, education, if you trace most of them back, you'll find a Christian caring about people's felt needs. Philadelphia. William Penn was a Quaker. He wanted to create a, a, a civilization, a society, a city that had tolerance and love and acceptance, whatever you believed. In fact, the idea of Philadelphia comes from a, a Greek word used in the Bible, phileo, brotherly love. Sacramento comes from the idea of the sacraments, 
that God would die for us in the sacrament of the, of the Eucharist or, or communion. And because he would do that for us, the sacrament would be we extend that love to others. Cincinnati even, you know, Cincinnatus, if you know the story, he was a Roman model of leadership and of humility because he lost his son after being a war hero. He was working on a small farm and the army came and said, we're under attack. Would you come and be our leader? And he becomes the, the dictator temporarily, defeats the evil empire. He's a mighty hero. And after two weeks of ultimate power and ultimate authority, after two weeks, he gives it all back and goes back to his farm. No one did that. People use power to get power. People don't use power to help others. And so our city, Cincinnati, is named after one who modeled what Jesus did. Jesus took his power and he came to earth and he said, I came to serve, not to be served. I came to offer warm deeds to your felt needs because I care for you. She listened to this next song, which I'm sure you all know. I want you to ask yourself, who do I need to shower? What are the needs around me that you want me to meet this week? Let's listen together. You know, it's amazing to me is I can't shower the people I love, let alone the people I don't love. <laughs> and so God calls us to kindness, not only to those we love, but to those who've been cruel to us. And so maybe this morning before we leave, I just want to give you a chance to maybe ask God for forgiveness or some unkind words and to ask, ask him to forgive you, but also to tap into his spirit so that you can do what that song talked about. Let's pray quickly together. If you want to bow your heads with me, you can just say it. Maybe you're thinking about a specific unkind word on the way in today or to somebody. Just in your own heart, say, God, forgive me for my unkindness. Forgive me for dismissing the needs of the people around me. Help me to take this as seriously as you do. But I ask for forgiveness for it. I ask for your mercy this morning. Thank you that you died for me and I ask that your spirit would come into me. God, teach me how to express your kindness to others through compassion and patience. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. You know, if, if you came prepared to give, uh, you can uh, put your money in the offering box on the way out. If you uh, would like to meet some people, third door on your left is the hearth room. We'd love to say hi. Thanks again.